Well, where have you all been the last three weeks? Oh, no, wait a minute. That was us. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it is so good to be home. And I'll tell you how good it is to be home. We pulled in those gates about 10 o'clock Wednesday night, and the children were cheering to be back in Lake Wildwood. <laughs> so uh, that'll, that'll tell you something, right? And uh, it was so exciting to come home. And I, I don't know where is Linda. Linda's in here. Linda, I can't tell you how it blessed me to drive by. By the way, have you noticed that the sign is actually current like all the time now? Um, that's not an angel from heaven. It's an angel from North Carolina. Her name's Linda Hurd. <laughs> and she does a great job of that. And I was so thrilled to see the sign when it said, uh, Welcome home, Pastor Paul and Elizabeth. Now let's get busy building a kingdom. I, I can't tell you how that encouraged me because you kind of hold your breath and say, Okay, what happened while I was gone? I, I really didn't have a concern about the guys speaking. All three of them I knew would do a great job. But how'd you enjoy last Sunday, by the way? Wasn't that challenging? Uh, we're going to have those guys back sooner rather than later, but uh, I, I hope you took advantage, and I want to thank publicly uh, both Nick and Tom uh, for stepping up and filling in for me, and I, wanna th and I noticed too that a lot of other people filled in some gaps, and uh, uh, um, Pam did our bulletin, that was huge for me, um, and, and uh other people stepped up. I know my son basically became me. He said, yeah, I'm getting to church at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning. And I said, well, you got the right name. You might as well get there at the right time. <laughs> but we had a great time, but there's no place like home, and we're so thrilled to be here. And I'm ready to jump back in God's Word. How about you? So take your copy of God's Word and find your way to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark in Chapter Number 10. I want to deal with something today. And I just entitled this, How to Enter the Kingdom. It's a pretty simple title, and you're going to see it shows right up in our text today. Um, we, we, we can choke on this text a little bit. And we can really give the disciples a hard time if we're not careful. But I want to, I want to present to you or challenge you with the fact that I don't think we're too far away from those guys um, in, our, in our actual attitudes and actions towards the least of these. Let's look at what the scriptures say, beginning in verse 13. Then they brought little children to him, this is to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. If you've got your own Bible, you should underline this verse because this is, this is such a powerful paradigm shift. What Jesus says in verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Isn't that something? There is so much in those short three verses. Four verses, actually, 13 to 16. There's so much in there. But I was doing some little bit of research on this. And, um, you know, we put a value on kids today. In, in the church, at least. I'd like, to think, do you, I'd like to think that we put a value on kids. I don't know if you've walked through the rest of the facility today. That'll tell you a little bit of the value that we place on children. Um, and it never ceases to amaze me the lengths that 
Courtney will go to to transform the church into something otherworldly um, just to do nothing more than to reach out to the least of these, these children. We, 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 we do that naturally. And so we, we might have a hard time relating to what was going on here in this text today and, and that the disciples would stand in between these moms bringing these kids to Jesus. Um, but we have to understand that in the ancient culture, the first century culture, children were just a notch above tax collectors and lepers. They were not valued. Matter of fact, most of them didn't make it to adulthood. Uh, infant mortality was over 50%. Uh, if you made it past 12, the age of bar mitzvah, when you would become an adult, you, you, then, then you had a sibling who didn't. Just think about that for a minute. And, and, and it wasn't as big a deal as you might think. Matter of fact, I, I, was, I was reading where the archaeologist uh, once discovered an ancient papyrus that was apparently, it was apparently a letter from a husband to his pregnant wife. And part of it said this, if the child is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, expose it. In other words, just throw it in the woods. That was the attitude. That was the attitude of children in that day. They wanted a son to carry on a family name. If it's a girl, we don't want to waste any time. Just throw her in the woods and let the animals do what they do. Right? Is that shocking? I would assert to you that our culture is not that different. We just do it before they get out of the womb. I mean, we do. We do. And I was talking to a very knowledgeable brother who is in the forefront of the battle for life in the womb. Um, you know what he told me? I, I, and Jim, I've never heard this before. He said, you know what the problem, you know why we can't win this battle right now? Why we're not winning it? I said, no. He said, because the abortion is the church's dirty little secret. He said, not just the church, pastors. You know, and their daughters get pregnant and they quietly get an abortion and get that taken care of. I said, surely that's not true. He says, Paul, I've got file cabinets full of documentation. That's exactly what's happening. So you can't say out of one side of your mouth you value life, and on the other side you're willing to take it while it's still in what should be the safest place in the universe, inside a mother's womb. So in Jesus' day, they didn't really, they didn't really value children very much. They were a commodity. They were not thought much of. Half of them weren't going to make it. And they were basically a nuisance until they made it. And so we have these attitudes, and they're just, they're just coming out. You're just seeing the, the cultural attitudes. That's what the, the disciples are doing, nothing but mirroring the culture of the day. And by the way, remember that as you read the scripture. When you see things that seem odd to you, step back a little bit and say, okay, are they mirroring just their culture of their day? And I, I, would, tell, I would assert to you, our, our culture hasn't changed very much from theirs in that sense. So, so let's break this story down. Uh, what's happening here? Jesus is teaching, which he does a lot. He's teach, matter of fact, he's teaching about the kingdom, which is pretty much all he taught. Everything Jesus taught was about the kingdom. So he's teaching the kingdom. You think that's important? Yeah. So we would say that's pretty important stuff that Jesus is going over here, right, with these people. Vital information that everybody needs to know. Now, now we know a few things. It generally appears that in every crowd there were several groups of people 
For some reason, those Pharisees and Sadducees were always there. And the reason they were there is because they hated Jesus and they wanted to trip him up and catch him in something that would discredit him. So they were always there. Then there were always people there that were just average, normal people like you and I. And they, and, and they were actually wanted to hear the truth. And then there were those there that had come just because at this point, and I'm going to show it to you in the text, Jesus had become pretty famous. Word of his miracles and the things that he had done and the possibility that he may actually be the Messiah had really started to spread by this point in his ministry. And so he, was a, he, he could gather a crowd. So there were some coming just hoping to see a miracle. So Jesus is doing some important stuff, and he's teaching kingdom truth, kingdom principles, and helping people. And all of a sudden, the local group of MOPs shows up. Probably only a couple of people know what MOPs is here. It stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. Matter of fact, Angela Birchall over here, wave to us, Angela, so you can see. She's the head of MOPs in our area. Um, and and, and if, you're not, if you're a mom and you have a preschooler, you really ought to be a part of that ministry. My wife and I got to go and share with them um, a few months ago in April. And that is an amazing thing. So this group of moms with a bunch of babies and preschoolers, they're in this crowd. And so what we see starting to happen here is they start to press in because they want, what do they want Jesus to do? What do you see in the text? Yeah, yeah. He, and, and, and we see something again about the culture here. The Bible says that, that they, want, they brought him to him, that he might, look at, look at the word, look what it says in verse 13, that he might touch them. Do you see that? Because the blessing, this is so key, a biblical blessing is inferred both with words and physical touch. So he, they literally wanted this rabbi, prophet, to put his hands on, his, on their children and to pray a prayer of blessing over them. Now, I want to say to you that that was not abnormal. That, that was quite common. Matter of fact, the more popular and famous the rabbi, the more followed he was, the more people wanted that rabbi to bless their children. Can you, can you see where that could make sense? Especially in this culture. So Jesus is gaining in popularity. And he might, the rumors are starting to float around that he might actually be the anointed one. The Messiah. Okay, so if you got a baby, <laughs> and, and the Messiah might be here, <laughs> who do you want to lay hands on your kid and pray over him? Right? I mean, can we back up off of that and just bring it into modern day? If Jesus were here, would you not want to put your babies in his arm? Kevin, would you not want to put little hope in, in Jesus' hands and say, would you pray a prayer of blessing over my child? Can you imagine that? I know one of the last times that my grandfather was here, my mom's dad, he was at our home, and, um, and he's up there in years. Uh, matter of fact, we're not sure how he's still alive, other than he's just made of German shoe leather, they tell us. Um, and you know, I don't know if I'm going to see him again. And he was in my living room, and they're getting ready to leave, and I said, Grandpa, could I ask something of you? He said, sure. I said, would you bless my children before you leave? And I brought all my kids around him, and they, and they, they gathered around him, and he put his hands on each one of them and prayed a prayer of blessing. Powerful. Powerful stuff, right? And so these mamas, they just want their kids blessed. That's all. They're, they're coming for the Messiah, or this, at least this famous prophet and rabbi, to bless them. So in verse 13, there's a blessing that is sought by these mothers. 
But also in verse 13, what, there's a rebuke that is caught. Can you, can, you, can you take your Bible glasses off for a minute and picture this scene? This is an outdoor scene. Jesus is preaching outdoors. Most of what he did was outdoors. So he's speaking, and his mom's pushed through. They're starting to come up to the front um, for Jesus to bless them. And what do, you, what do you see the disciples doing here? Yeah, now what do you think that, again, we have Bible. What do you, what do you think that means when it says the disciples rebuked them? Huh? They stopped them. What, but what is rebuke in tone? What is, what do you, if I said, boy, I just got rebuked. Don't approve? Huh? That's what I'm thinking. They were yelling at them, or, or they were at least being rough. A rebuke means to be pushed down. Literally, the word means to push down, to suppress. They're saying, hey, uh-uh. There's important stuff going on here, and the master has no time for children. This is not children's stuff. This is important kingdom stuff. Can you see it? So, so they're coming seeking a blessing, and instead they get a what? They get a re- re- reproof, a rebuke, a strong word of, of, of no. <laughs> You're not welcome here. And, and we can kind of see this unfolding in our mind, can't we? Then in verse 14 is interesting. As you look there in verse 14, Here's what the scriptures say. But when Jesus saw it, all right, now, now come back to this. He's, he's probably sitting on a rock, so he's a little bit elevated so that he can see folks, they can see him. And, and I'm imagining this thing's happening off to the side. It's just my imagination, but I'm thinking this house is going on. And he sees these moms pressing in, and of course Peter's the first to stand up, and all of a sudden John and a few of the other guys come around him, and, and, and he can see there's a commotion going on, and he figures out really quick what's happening, because he sees all these moms. The, the Greek word there for, for little children is what we would call infants. It was, it was babies and toddlers. Um, and he, he figures out real quick what's going on and what's happening. By the way, for those of Tom has spoken, Nick's spoken, um, I could tell you that when you're speaking and things are going on out there, it's distracting. It can be distracting. Um, so Jesus is distracted, but then he figures out what's going on. And when he saw it and discerned what was happening, look at the rest of verse 14. What does the Bible say? He was greatly displeased. Now that word literally, and in some translations more accurately, it says indignant. Okay? says he was so Christ was indignant and the disciples were ignorant he was indignant at their ignorance and that word indignant as a matter of fact it's one of the only times it's ever used of Christ there's another form of that word that's used when Jesus goes into the temple and grabs three cords and and uh, braids it together and makes a whip that's how mad Jesus is so I want you to picture that and I know we picture Jesus as this really pasty white guy, which he wasn't. This really pasty white guy with long hair who's so meek and mild that he wouldn't hurt a fly. That is not the historical Jesus. First of all, he was a carpenter and he walked everywhere he went. The guy was fit. Secondly, he was, he was brown for sure to the middle, to the darker side. At least Dale's color, if not darker. Dale's been working in the sun. I went and saw him at his work this week. Uh, he, he was dark. 
And thirdly, he was not a mamby-pamby, milk-toast guy, and all the pictures make him look like he needs some Prozac. That was not Jesus. I'm telling you right now, Jesus was a fiery character. And he got ticked off. That's literally what the word means. He was passionately angry with his disciples. So they gave a rebuke to the parents. Jesus now turns around and gives a rebuke to them. So you can see that in verse 14. And he's, he's indignant. He's, he's really mad. And remember, Jesus' anger, this is so important to understand. It's, it's not sinful. It can't be. Are you with me? His anger can't be sinful. So he's not sinning. He's righteously angry at the ignorance of the disciples. And in a minute, I'm going to show you why he's got every right to be. Okay? So he's mad. Look what he says. So verse 14, go, go right back to it in your scriptures. Here's what the Bible says. So he was greatly displeased, and here's what he said to them. Let the children, what? Come to me, and what? And do not forbid them. Two very powerful verbs in there. One an affirmative, one a negative. He says, you must continue to allow the children to come to me, and you must stop getting in their way and withholding them from my presence. That's literally what Jesus said. It, the words in English don't do it justice. In, in the spoken Greek of the day, it is a very stern, very it is the strongest affirmative and strongest negative in the language of the day. You did not use that unless and until there was something of great importance or value that you needed to communicate very finally. Okay? Jesus is being extremely clear using, using the most powerful language he can. You must continue to let the children come to me, and you must continually never, ever again keep them from my presence. And, and, and I don't know about you, as I've explained who Jesus is and what was going on here, what do you think his expression was? <laughs> you, you think? I think maybe a little bit. I, I think Jesus was serious here. He wasn't fooling around. Look at the rest of 14. Here's what he says. He says, um, For of such is the kingdom of God. Right? Of such. From such. Then he's going to clarify what he means. Verse 15 is really a, a, a powerful statement. Um, and let's look at it together right now. Verse 15. Um, so verse 14, Jesus is indignant and the disciples are ignorant. Now look at verse 15. We see this. It says, Assuredly, I say to you. By the way, whenever you see that, in the old King James is verily, verily, or assuredly, Jesus is saying, look, I'm fixing to lay some truth on you that you can take to the bank that is always true and will always be true from here throughout all of eternity. Listen. So whenever he prefaces something with that, he's laying down some kingdom truth that's vitally important that we grasp and understand. Okay? So he's getting their attention, as, as if he didn't already have their attention <laughs> by, what he, by his attitude and his words, right? He's already used really strong language to them. Now he gets their attention even more. He said, guys, you better perk your ears up and somebody better be writing this down. Because what I'm fixing to lay on you is some kingdom truth and you, you need to not only hear it, I expect you to apply it. And here it is. This is radical what he says here. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, 
as a what? Little child, a little child, that's a toddler or an infant, will by no means enter it. Here's a kingdom shift Jesus lays on them. He said, look, guys, I'm going to tell you the truth. Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you got no chance. No chance of entering it. Now, there's so, what, are, what are some observations about that? What do we learn about the kingdom right here? What's it say right in the word? Unless you what? What's the, starts with an R. What's that word? Receive what? The kingdom of God. So what does that tell us about the kingdom of God? Ah, it can be received. Matter of fact, it, it verily, it must be received. Right? It's got to be received. Okay, so that's, that's pretty important truth. Right? But there's a manner in which it must be received. You can't just receive it on your own terms. Right? There's an attitude, there's a manner, there's a, there's a humility that must go along with it. So how, how do I receive, do you think it's important to know how we receive the kingdom of God? How do I receive the kingdom of God? Look what it says. <laughs> Just like a little child. Like a little child. Now he's not saying being childish. You, you know there's a difference between being childish and being childlike, right? Um, he said, unless you receive it like a little child. What does that mean? So you got no chance of entering it. Hold that thought, and let's look at this last verse, verse 16. We're going to come back and answer some of these questions. Look at verse 16. So Jesus lays this out. Notice he doesn't give him three points of poem and invitation. He just says it strongly, as strongly as the language will allow him to say it, and probably his facial expressions, and I imagine his tone of voice. An angry God, by the way, is a frightful being. I imagine, I imagine you could have heard a pin drop on that hillside that day. So he lays this out on them. And I imagine he takes a breath. Picture this with me. And his facial, his, his brow unfurls. And he smiles, a broad, warm smile. And he starts, he starts holding babies. Look at verse 16. This is beautiful. And he took them up as the babies. He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. You see it? Can't make that stuff up, can you? He has a radical shift in his attitude, in his appearance, in his tone of voice. The rebuke was for the adults. The blessing was for the babies. And, and you know, I think we got this thing turned upside down. We're constantly telling children you need to be like the adults. And Jesus says, no, you need to be like the children. So can I back up to verse 15? And let me ask you, why don't you preach this sermon for me? I want you to consider this, and I'm going to share something with you that was sent to me last night. Um, I want you to consider this. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? And when he says child here, understand we're talking about hope. Back there, little Hope Duncan, a year old. Okay, little tiny infant to preschooler. Not even, in, not even four years old yet. What, what does Jesus mean when he says, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a, like, as a little child, you, you won't receive it at all. 
He puts a massive qualifier there, doesn't he? Um, this was sent to me last night. I thought it was great. I shot, I shot this text out to some of the guys, and I said, uh, let, just give me, your, give me your thoughts on this text. And I love this one. It says, okay, everything in the kingdom is simple. So simple a child could understand it. We make it difficult. We try to quote-unquote adult it, just like the disciples did. Isn't that the truth? I can hear Jesus rebuking us in the same way. Just like my topic last week, you shouldn't overthink it. Just do what the king says and all will be well with you. It's not just the best way. I love this. It's the only way. And then after this is another thought. The disciples rebuking those that sent the children smacks of religion in contrast with Jesus forming a relationship with those children. That was from Tom Hurd, by the way. Wasn't that great? We adult it. We, we, we make things so complex, don't we? Okay, so what does Jesus mean? What do you think that Jesus means when he says, come to me, you've you got to receive the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is offered and we must what? We must take it. We must receive it. We must embrace it, right? And there's ways that we do that as far as grace through faith and that results in a turning away from sin. We understand that aspect of it. But Jesus is saying there's an underlying motivation there's an underlying attitude there's a method or an attitude or a stance with which only with which the kingdom is received and that is like a child what did he mean love it your heart is completely open i love this no barriers no restrictions no bargaining man that is great what what, what do you think memory you're getting out of the way yourself. You're not there. You're like a child just reaching for him. I love that. Isn't that true? That's beautiful. You're just like that little child. Does that little child think, oh, you know what? Is this guy really going to catch me? I mean, it's a guy. Does he know how to hold a baby? I don't know. Maybe not. Is a kid? No. Oh, he's got his hands out? Good. Let's do this. Right? Right? Pure trust. What else? How, how, how else is it, is, is it like a baby? I would say bringing nothing to the table because they have nothing except needs, and that's the way we have to come to him. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Bringing nothing to the table. And that's true. The most helpless entity in the universe is a human baby. We've got to do everything for them. They could not last more than a day without intervention. They're helpless. They need us for everything. You look at the rest of created nature. And by the way, this is another big example of how we're different. You look, we're in Georgia, white-tailed deer, has a baby. The baby is born, stands up, ready to run. Because <laughs> there's things out there that want to eat it. I mean, newborn baby, they're walking. They immediately learn how to, how to take milk from the mother. They, they learn how to lie stock still and not even twitch an ear and that's why God put camouflage on them with with the white dots they have no scent until they're able to run half as fast as the mother that's the grace of a good creator everything that's born in nature these, these crazy monkeys they're born they can hang on to the mother and if they can't they're done human baby helpless can't do a thing for themselves right and they're, they're reliant upon others for everything. And isn't that what Jesus is saying? Hey, you don't come to me with your resume in your hand. 
And I have seen so many people do that. Well, Lord, here I am, and here's my educational background, here's my income, and here's what I'm going to be able to do for the kingdom. Yeah, and you know what Jesus says? Thanks, but no thanks, wrong kingdom. You're, it looks to me like you're firmly ensconced in the other kingdom. You get so much invested, I don't think you're ready for mine. You come with no resume. You come with no boundaries, no barriers. You come with perfect trust in, in, in the ones around you. And you come open. Come humble. Do you see that there? Now here's the question. Do we do that? Or do we bring our resume to Jesus? Tell him how lucky he is to have us. It's interesting, isn't it? Come to me. You must receive the kingdom, but you must do it like a child would do it. Nothing held back. What are you holding back? What little area of your life you're saying, Lord, you got all this, but you know, I, I got to have this over here. This is my thing. It's my thing. I can't, I can't let this go. Or it's what I do. Well, what are we holding back? Does God really demand an all-or-nothing deal? You read the scriptures and tell me. You come like an infant who trusts everybody who picks him up. I love memories thing. Hands open. They don't think twice about who you are. They just believe you're going you're gonna to help them. You're going to give them what they need. And we have to come to God with that. No resume. No conditions. I'm helpless. That's why, that's why Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And there are a lot of people on that road. But narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it, that leads to eternal life. Why? Because we refuse to become like a child. We think we have more than we do. And until and unless we realize that we have nothing without Jesus, we cannot receive him. And by receiving him, receive the kingdom. That's the, that's, the, that's the gospel of the kingdom. Now I want to show you something that blew me away. I also sent, I also sent this uh, to Nick, and I asked his opinion on it. And, and I, I appreciated this. About these, these two guys are quite different, obviously. But um, what I liked about Nick is he, he said, I think we have to take, at the very least, the whole section into context if we're going to try to understand this one verse. And he's right. He's absolutely right. He said, although people were bringing their children for a blessing, Jesus was able to use it as a teaching moment when his disciples were acting harshly. My thought here is that children in general believe things their parents tell them without question. Isn't that the truth? You tell your children... That a fat white guy in a red suit in a sleigh driven by flying reindeer comes down your chimney that you don't even have in Georgia. A fat white Yankee is going to fly deer in the air in Georgia and he's going to make it out alive. At a minimum, the deer are going on the table. I'm just saying. You don't have to be that smart to figure that out. Your kids will believe you. Why do they believe you? Because children take everything a parent says as gospel truth. Be careful what you say. And I'm not saying don't tell your kids about Santa. I know that when we did that with Paul and Zach. And whenever they figured it out, Paul especially, he was very angry with us. 
And he basically sat us down and said, you lied to us. And I tried to tell him we didn't. And I'm arguing with an eight-year-old, and he's right. <laughs> you know? So now with the other children, I teach them about St. Nicholas, who literally punched an, um, Athanasius in the face uh, at the church council of Trent because Athanasius was singing a hymn uh, about the fact that Jesus wasn't God. And so St. Nicholas stood up and literally punched him in the face and knocked him out. I said, that's my kind of Santa Claus. <laughs> Forget coal, you're getting a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> so I teach my children about the real St. Nicholas and his love for children and for young ladies who weren't married yet, which is where all that custom comes from. So we give them the history. That, I, I go all that way just to say kids believe exactly what your parents tell them. But I noticed this because I started looking at the context before Nick sent that. But then I looked at it closer, and it's amazing. Check this out on the screen. If you go all the way back to Mark 9, you've got your Bibles open. We're not going to read all this, so don't get scared because I'm almost done. But, but check it out. If you go back to Mark 9, now remember what I told you? Chapters and verses, they were not put in <laughs> by the writers. That came a lot later. And some of these are in very inappropriate places. This is an example. So do not pay attention to chapters and verses. It doesn't mean a shift in gear or change of scenes necessarily. Keep that in mind. So all this is going on about the same time. Look back, chapter 9, in verses uh, 42 to 48. It's the whole thing of Jesus saying, hey, you know what? Better you go tie a millstone, about a 2,000-pound rock, around your neck and throw yourself into the sea before you even think about reaching out and harming a child that loves me. Before you think about standing in the way of that little child coming to me by hurting them and making it why, what would that do it would cause an innocent child to distrust those in authority and would that not affect their ability to trust the Savior yes and that's what Jesus was saying don't do it better to kill yourself now was Jesus purporting uh, 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 supporting suicide no he was using this as a, as a radical example of what's going to happen to you if you do this thing Okay, and then he talks, and he goes even further into depth and talks about hell and what it's going to be like. There's your first context. By the way, who heard this? The disciples. Don't get in the way of kids and me. What do they do? In the same day, they forget everything they heard, and they're yelling at the mops group. Right? These guys are as, as clueless as can be. I love them because I can relate to them. Right? Here's the next thing. This is interesting. So then, so then after he talks about better not mess with these kids and, and hell is real and you're better off cutting your hand off if, it, if it's causing you to hurt these kids than, than going through life with it. I mean, Jesus is serious. That's some hard truth he's laying out. Well, then remember I told you these Pharisees and Sadducees are always around? Then they're trying to trap them. And they bring up the divorce issue. And there were so many, even in the first century, there were so many opinions within the rabbis about divorce. And, and all they're saying, no matter where Jesus lands on this thing, he's going to land opposite somebody else, and they can use it as a wedge, hopefully to get him executed. So that's their thing. So Jesus does this whole teaching on divorce, and the main thing is he goes all the way back to Genesis. And let me tell you how it was at the beginning. And the, and the key verses there are out of Genesis, and they say this. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That cleaving's a good thing. It's, it's called the, that's the physical union. Y'all adults shake your head. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's the physical union, and the two shall become what? One. And, and that's, that's kingdom mathematics. One plus one equals one. Uh, 
The two come together, and they become one. Now, that's not a spiritual thing. That's not some weird metaphysical thing. It's literally talking about a baby. It's talking about coming together in a physical union, which produces what? Children. So who's hurt most by divorce? And he talks about children next. Do you see this context? You connecting these dots? Don't mess with kids in chapter 9. A whole divorce thing? You better watch out. Because I just talked about not messing with kids and standing in between them. And if you want to really hurt a child and reach out and touch one of these that love me, get divorced. Boy, talk about trust issues, right? With these little kids. They're so, they're so covered up by it. And then he brings in this teaching on these children. He, he uses something that's going on as a distraction, as an object lesson. And then this most beautiful thing, and I'm not going to get into it today. I may touch it next week. Is this next section, 17 through 22. It's the rich young ruler. Remember this? Comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I, what, what do I have to do to receive the kingdom? What did Jesus just say? How do you receive the kingdom? Like a child. Was he there? Yes. The guy's standing right there. He, he sees this whole stinking object lesson. He goes, well, what do I got to do? Well, dummy, you do what I just said. You come to me as a child, nothing in your hands. And he said, well, Jesus, Jesus said, well, you keep the law. You know, I, I've done that since I was a little kid, because we're just coming off the children's church sermon, right? He said, well, I've done that since I was their age. He said, oh, good. And I love how it says, I think it's in Luke, it says, and Jesus loved him. All of a sudden, Jesus looked at this guy and said, oh, he loved him. Just like he loved those little babies, he loved this very confused man. And he said, you only lack one thing. That's another way of saying you're only breaking one law. It's number 10. Thou shalt not covet. He's only, you're only lacking one thing. Here's what you got to do. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. You're good to go. What is Jesus saying? You only lack one thing. Come to me as a child. Don't come to me with your resume and your bank account. Your bank account is keeping you from the kingdom. That's what he's saying. And what did the guy do? He sold everything and followed Jesus. No, what did he do? The Bible says he walked away sorrowful for he had much riches. Jesus says, see, you're coming to me but not as a child. You're coming to me with a resume and a bank account and it's sending you straight to hell. Your trust is in somewhere, something else other than in me and you have no ability to trust me because of it. And then, I Here's where you and I and the disciples are all in the same boat together. They get, to, they get to pull Jesus aside later at dinner. They're at the barbecue joint. And they're saying, hey, so if the rich guy can't get there, who's getting there? Did they even hear what he said? Were they not there? I'm pretty sure they were there because they were rebuking the kids before they got rebuked. These guys are clueless. Who, who, who then gets to go to heaven? And Jesus says, all right, God, you know what? Yeah. With men, it's impossible, but with God, what? What's he saying? It's a God thing. You guys are too clueless to understand anything more than this. Trust me, it's a God thing. <laughs> God can do what man can't do, right? All of that context before and after, this thing about the children is plopped right in the middle, and it's not by accident. Matter of fact, I believe, could be wrong, but I believe that the central teaching 
And this whole section are those four verses we just went over. And the stuff before and after is to both set up and be an example of, of the negative example of what not to do. So that we would understand the vital importance of coming to Jesus with nothing. No resume, no accomplishments, realizing that we are wholly undone in the presence of a righteous God. And we're in trouble. And we, we come to him holding nothing. And say, I, I got nothing. I need you for everything. And when we do, we receive the kingdom. Okay. So, what are the takeaways from this? I just got a couple. Just two. I think they'll come up here. Have I come to Christ like a child? Have you? That's why it's so important to, to introduce our children to who Jesus is at a young age. And I'm going to probably mess with some people's theology here. But I'm going to tell you what. My wife would say, how old were you? Four years old. Now, she's a little older than that now. Four years old. She, God really arrested her soul at four. Now, I don't know what, what the fruit of that is at four. You stop writing on a wall with crayons, stop stealing cookies. I don't know. I don't know. But I live with this woman. And I can tell you, she is a follower of Jesus. She came to him not only as a child, but as a child, right? I think that was legitimate. Can I ask you a question? Have there been other times in your life where you've, you've had another experience with Christ and have gone to a deeper level with your walk? Yeah. Don't pick green fruit. I love what Courtney did on how to lead a child to Christ. We've got to be super careful there. But at the same time, we don't need to be so careful that we don't present the gospel to them. Are we crazy? Why are, why are we killing ourselves to make this church look like Battlestar Galactica for a week? And the cost of that and the human resource cost, why are we, are we not? No, we love these kids because we know that so many of us came to Christ as children. And this is an opportunity to be Jesus to these kids and to show these kids who Jesus is. But have you come to Jesus like a child? And the second was, how can I let Jesus bless the children in my life through me? How can I do that? How can I leaven, how can I leaven the children around me? And that was a sermon from a few weeks ago. Well, you got a beautiful opportunity this week. A beautiful opportunity this week. As we launch our VBS tonight, be here at 5.30. So I haven't signed up for anything. Well, repent. <laughs> I'm serious. You need to be here. You need, you know what? You need to be Jesus while the rest of the world is the disciples in this account today. The rest of the world says, ah, you know what, kids, I don't got time for that. Let the young people do it. You know what? We need grandparents because grandparents, nobody loves like grandmas and grandpas. Right? It's just different. Just different. I know. I was a parent for a long time. Now I'm a grandparent. It's way better. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I, I, I love Myra very differently. She probably have what she wants, as long as her mother doesn't know. Uh, and she could do no wrong. I just, I just, I love her differently. You know, grandkids are God's reward for not killing your teenagers. And, 
I love, I, I need grandparents, I need men to be here at 5.30 tonight. Nothing blessed me more in the last few years that we've done this. Mike Glaze standing in that foyer. What did he do? He stood in the foyer. But what did he do? He just stood there. And he smiled, this mountain of a man smiled at these children as they came in. You know what that said? Jesus is not just for children and women. He must be for men too. We need godly examples of men. You got an opportunity tonight and all week long to put what you've heard this morning into practice. And don't give me any excuses. Because if I can be here, anybody can be here. If Courtney can be here, anybody can be here. You be here. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. You stand there and smile at kids. Can you do that? Yeah, we can all do that. Love on them. We're going to sugar them up. We're going to send them home just like grandparents. <laughs> but within all of that, we're going to say, we're going to be a living message of, putting, of blessing them just like Jesus did. That some of them, maybe this week, will enter the kingdom. And I close with this. Um, I don't remember how, was it three weeks ago? I was speaking at Websterville Baptist Church in upstate Vermont. And uh, we were with some very dear friends of ours. We went to school with both of them, a husband and a wife who's a pastor there, this church. I spoke in that church, and they have more kids than us. Well, they have nine kids, ten kids, right? And some of them, a few of them are grown, not many are, are out. But then they took in three foster kids on top of these other kids because it was a really bad situation. And, the, and, and uh, Jack fell in love with a little girl, Lisey. He, just, he still talks about her. But the oldest boy was how old? About eight, not ten years old. Very bitter because he had been through some. Talk about distrust. He had no reason to trust his folks. Horrible. Bitter little boy. And I love watching how Brian dealt with him. The kid did something he shouldn't have done. I happened to be standing there at one of those awkward moments. And it was so beautiful how this man talk this boy through an understanding and then just affirmed his love to him. They did the same VBS we're doing, but they did it last week. And one of the really cool things I saw on Facebook is that little boy put his faith in Christ last week. This kid who has been done dirty by every adult in his life until he met Pastor Fesher and his wife. He's only been with them for a few months. And yet he saw Jesus to the people of that church. And he put his faith in Christ. You might be that person for one little child here this week. And I'm going to ask you to not make excuses, but instead make plans. Be here and bless these children. I'm going to have our, our singers come and we're going to try to sing a song with them. It's actually a VBS song. I don't know what it is about VBS, but every year they do, Courtney calls it a slow song. Um, and they knock it out of the park with that slow song. This song, when she played it for me, it, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was and how worshipful it was. And we're going we're gonna to sing that song together.